But I want to just get into the Word today uh, because it's kind of fun. I, I, I love that our denomination doesn't do a liturgy. I think there's something cool about a liturgy. There's a lot uh, of planned stuff that I don't have to worry about as a pastor, but I think it's cool how God leads us. And so I want to conclude the book of Haggai. We've been in the book of Haggai for about three weeks. We're going to be four weeks in a book that's two chapters. You say, way to go, Pastor. Four weeks on two chapters. I mean, seriously. If we did that with the whole book, we'd be here for a while. But anyway, four weeks on those two chapters. But, but ultimately, when we look at that book, if you recall with me kind of what's happening, it's going to lead us to a place that we are today, and it's perfect for where we are today. If that, that, I know where I'm going, so my mind gets excited. Anyway, I talk about the sovereignty of God, the plans of God, how He leads us. Uh, but in the book of Haggai, remember that it was written, uh, it, it, the prophet Haggai came to the people of God, uh, that in the book of Ezra were sent back to rebuild the temple. They were sent back by a Persian king, Cyrus, to, to rebuild the temple, and they started, but they didn't complete what they were supposed to do. Sixteen years passed, and Haggai begins to speak to them. And we've looked at what the word of the prophet was. So the first thing he talked about was your priority. Like, what is your priority? He said you eat and you're not satisfied. You drink and you're not, you're, you don't have enough. You work and, and you sow, but you don't reap a harvest. You, you earn money, but it's like your pockets, they have holes in them. You're never satisfied. He said, why is my temple in ruin when your houses are paneled? Why have you taken care of all your stuff but not worried about the temple of God? And so he challenges us with what comes first. Recall we said seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all this will be added to us. So we looked at the, the word of the prophet starts with a place of priority. What's your priority? And then he goes to a place of promise. So, so if you look at, the, at chapter 2 of Haggai, you see that, that all of a sudden, when we're practicing kingdom priority, we experience kingdom promises. He promises, I will be with you. I don't know of any greater promise in my life than the promise that God will be with me. Well, all of his promises, we can talk about provision, we can talk about blessings, we can talk about all this stuff, but the very reality that, that God promises, I will be with you. And so, so we looked at kingdom promise. When we have kingdom priority, we, we, we receive kingdom promise. And then we looked at one of those promises last week. He said to them that the glory of this present temple will be greater than the glory of, of the past. Solomon's temple and all its glory and all that had happened, the one that they were rebuilding, even though they didn't comprehend it, they didn't understand it, he, he promised it would be greater. This week I, I want to start in Haggai, but I want to start with the last couple, last three verses of that, that book. In, in Haggai chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. I'm going to read these, these verses and you're going to say, Okay, Pastor, where are we going today? Because I'm not following. That's good. It says in, in Haggai chapter 2, tells Zerubbabel, son of Judah, I will shake the heavens and earth. We read that last week. I will overthrow or overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, 
it declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. I read those verses in Forrest Gump. I might not be a smart man, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's how I feel sometimes when I read the Bible. Um, but I think I love you, Jenny. Um, but anyway, that's how I kind of feel when I read some things sometimes. And, and so I get to the end of Haggai. I'm, I'm fully tracking with them. And then we get to these verses. And I can understand shaken nations. I've sang about it enough in church. So I know what that means. And, and so, but we start talking about Zerubbabel. And we start talking about God making his, his signet ring. And what is all this stuff talking about? Like, what is God talking about? And so, to understand what God is talking about, we've got to understand who God is talking to. And it sounds like, when we read this, if he says, tell Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, this is a word for him, right? I mean, if he said, tell Steve, the pastor of Christ Community Church, we're going to know who God's talking to. But there's something interesting about Zerubbabel. If we look in Scripture, we realize that God has made a promise to David. If you go back in, in Scripture and you look at it, God's made a promise to David, and his promise was that, that a son of David would reign. And what we see throughout Scripture is the sons of David have kind of screwed that up. That's how they ended up in captivity. That's how they ended up where they were. And so they're reestablishing Judah right now, and Zerubbabel is technically a son of David. And so what's happening through this man, through this moment, we saw it last week as we looked at the promise of future glory, but God is establishing through them what is a type or a model that will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He's saying to them, He's saying to this one, he is a son of David, but, but God is saying to Zerubbabel that, that he would reign, that he would rule. What God has been doing in my heart this week, uh, through last Sunday, through men's Bible study, is he's showing me how he's bringing us, or he's, he's opening the package for what's going to be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. We, read, we read last week, if you recall, uh, in, in Haggai, we read verses 6 through 9. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. <coughs> Excuse me. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house says the Lord Almighty, and in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. And last week as we looked at the promise of greater glory in that temple, we ended with the revelation of that glory being in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was, was the greater glory that was being revealed. This is what we would call, a, if you want to sound smart today, uh, sometimes use the word messianic prophecy. It's a, it's a prophecy about the Messiah. That's what this was about that was going to be revealed, that was going to be redeemed in Jesus Christ. So as we're studying Haggai, God is beginning to shift us forward. 
This is where I love what God does. He's shifting us forward to a place where the temple, the glory of the present temple, is greater than the glory of what was. That was accomplished where? Jesus Christ said, you'll destroy the temple and I will rebuild it in three days. How was that brought to pass? It brings us to the cross of Jesus Christ. It brings us to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Guess what? We're quickly approaching Easter. I believe God is trying to shift our eyes from what was to what is, to what He's done in Jesus Christ. And so as we conclude our understanding of this book of Haggai, God is trying to get our eyes focused on Jesus Christ the son of David, who would reign on the throne, who would watch nations shake. He's leading us to that place. Why do I say that? Well, again, I might not be a smart man, but we have men's Bible study. We're in the book of Zechariah. Greg, don't say amen too loud on that one. Those two were not supposed to go together. We were reading in, in our men's Bible studies, and we're reading the book of Zechariah, which is kind of the completion of Haggai. It continues this, this story anyway. And so uh, Zechariah says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Rejoice. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. Now, because we're approaching Easter, that resonates with me. Recall the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ. How does He come to town? It's behind me on the screen. The right answer is up. God is leading us to a particular place. He's desiring for us to see something. We continued, Zechariah chapter 11. I told them. Now, what happened was, he's talking in Zechariah chapter 11 about being a shepherd, which we see fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But he's talking about being a shepherd, and then people determining how much he's worth, how much his, his work was worth. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. Well, in Bible study, what we then did was we went to the story of Judas. Judas put a value on Jesus' life, right? How much did Judas value Jesus' life for? The answer's on the screen. We're catching on. We might be smart people. When he tried, he felt bad and he tried to return the money. What did they do with it? They bought a potter's field. They bought a field. They bought potter's field with the money. Do you see how that was written by the prophet in Zechariah? What's happening in Haggai and Zechariah is trying to get our eyes. Now looking back, looking back, it's easy to see, right? Looking back, it's, it's easy to connect some of these dots. Like, we start talking 30 pieces of silver. Guess what? I know the story. I see it. Those that were there, how much did they miss? 
this morning I want to talk about perspective. I feel like as we conclude this book of Haggai, I mean, we're seeing that God is speaking about some pretty remarkable promises fulfilled through Jesus Christ. We're seeing that because we've seen it. But they've, they've missed it. They, they don't see it. I want to talk about kingdom perspective because sometimes we're missing all that God is doing. We talked in Bible study, we, 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 we talked it about how it's easier to see once it's been done and put the dots together. You know, it's like the mystery movie. Have you ever watched the mystery movie, the whodunit movie? And you watch the whole movie and then they get to the end and you find out who, who did the crime and they go back and they show you all the clues that came before. And that's really kind of what God's illuminating in my heart this week is all the clues, all the pieces that get us to where we're at today. But the problem is, is that we're missing what God is doing. The kids are with us today. If the kids can all come forward real quick, all the kids, I want you to come up front real quick because they're in, in, in service with us. We're going to tell a story in the New Testament in just a second. No, stay down here. Stay down here right in front. All the kids, come on up. If you want to. If you don't want to, you don't have to. All the kids. Just try and get a little energy out. You guys want to come up? You can come up front if you want. Real quick. Now, praise God for our kids. Amen? Praise God for all these kids in our church. Pastor Tara is doing a remarkable job. Anyway, uh, so now, uh, they, there's a story I'm going to tell, and you're going to look at my back for a second. I know everything about public speaking says don't, but you're going to look at my back. So just, anyway, so there's a story I'm going to tell this morning, guys, and it's about a crowd, and this looks like a crowd, right? And so looking at our crowd, ooh, there was one person who was really short. Who's the shortest one up here? I think we might be at Peyton. We'll just say Peyton for right now. So I need everybody else to step up. Everybody else step forward. Peyton, you stay back here by me. Everybody else step forward. Step forward. Step forward. Step forward. Now, the story's about a crowd. And there was someone in the back of the crowd that wanted to see what was going on on the other side of the crowd. So what would you guys do? Peyton's got, get over here. You're the tallest one up here. Stand right in front of her. What would you do if you were in Peyton's place and you wanted to see what was happening over here? What would you guys do? You probably would push through, William. I know that about you. Okay, well, you guys can go down. Go, go ahead and sit down. I'm going to tell the story because what the, the person does... You can sit down, Peyton. Thank you very much. What we're going to see through this story that we're going to look at in just a moment, it illuminates, in my mind, kingdom perspective. And how sometimes there's crowds, sometimes there's things in the way of seeing what God is doing. And that much like Peyton, much like she was, was behind and she just couldn't tell what was going on, we're often in that place in our lives. 
And I believe when it comes to kingdom perspective, that, that the story we're going to share in just a moment helps us see what we need to be doing. We're going to be in, in the book of Luke, chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. We see at the end of Jesus' this is this is just as he's on his way to Jerusalem for the triumph and entry, or you know, that, that big thing with the colt that we just talked about a little bit ago. But suddenly there's crowds that are forming because they're hearing about what he's been doing. They're hearing about the healing, they're hearing about the things he's been saying, they're hearing about all that's been happening, the miracles, the signs and wonders that have accompanied him. And so when he co- when he goes somewhere. Uh, naturally a crowd gathers. So he enters Jericho and was passing through. There was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. He's right where Peyton was. He's right where Peyton was this morning. So he... He ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. I love this story as we're approaching Easter. I love this story in the context of what's been happening in Haggai, in Zechariah, as we've been in men's Bible study. I love it because the reality is Jesus is coming. We talk about what Jesus Christ accomplished. We remember the last moments of, of his life, uh, the, 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 the crucifixion, the arrest. We remember the, the entry. We remember the, the, the resurrection. We remember all those moments as we, as we approach Easter. But I wonder if, if so many times the crowd whatever the crowd might be, is in front of us and we're just not seeing. You know, do you ever feel that way? Like you're in a church service and people seem to be like really engaged and they're praying for each other and you're just catching a glimpse. Like you're like, feel like you're on your tippy toes trying to see what God's doing over there and wondering, can you catch a glimpse of that in your life? Or you're talking to someone else and they're talking about how great the revelation of God's love is and you're like trying to just see through the weeds or you're trying to see over the fence what they're seeing, like we're trying to get there. I mean, I feel like we all can relate the, to the position of Zacchaeus. We're, we're, it's an incredible demonstration. Jesus Christ has come to town. Everyone has gathered to see the same thing. But he must have been busy doing his job, so he didn't get to the parade first. He got to the parade last, right? So he got that place in the back. It's not like church. The back fills up and then we got to sit in the front, you know. But in, in, in the parade, people sat, they want to get in the front first and then they go to the back. Now, I'm not knocking at anybody in the back row today, just saying that.
So Zacchaeus found himself in a place. And he had a desire to see Jesus. He desired to see what everyone else was gathered there. He desired to see the one he'd heard stories about. He desired to see the one that, 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 that had made the lame walk and the blind to see. He desired to see him, but his circumstance was preventing him from seeing Jesus Christ. So what's his response? He realizes something must change. Sometimes we feel like we over-spiritualize things. So Zacchaeus doesn't over-spiritualize things. We don't see him falling to his knees, crying out to God, God, what must I do to experience your presence right now? We don't see him grabbing the worship leader and, and, and the pastor and calling them together to pray for him in that moment. What does he do? He's got a desire and he's going to make sure his desire is fulfilled. I love it because it says he runs ahead of the crowd. He runs ahead of whatever is, is, is hindering him from seeing Jesus Christ. What is he doing? He's positioning himself for the presence of God. Is he not positioning himself? He was in a bad position. He was in a position with limitation. He was in a position that, that, that was obstructive. He was in a position that was hindering what he desired to, to, to experience. So, I mean, Zacchaeus wasn't very spiritual yet. He was very practical now. So what did he do? He ran ahead of the crowd. And he, he's short, right? We all got to recognize our limitations. I won't point out short people right now. He, he recognized the limitation, so he climbed a tree. I mean, he was a deep theologian, right? I want to see God, so I'm running ahead of the crowd and I'm climbing a tree. Kids, I'm telling you this morning to climb a tree. He had a desire. Psalm 63 says, You're my God. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory. That's, that's a psalm of David, but it expresses desire. What is your desire? Kingdom perspective. Sometimes we're not changing our position because we're content with what we're experiencing. Sometimes we're not running ahead of the crowd because we're not concerned with what we're missing through the crowd. Sometimes we're not climbing a tree because we've just decided that we're short, we're always going to be short, and we're never going to see. What is your desire? Like when you come to church or, or as we approach Easter as a church this year, what is your desire? 
Like, what do you want to see? I mean, you've heard about things. You've heard the stories of what Jesus is doing here and there and everywhere. You've heard testimonies in church and you, you've watched people and, and you've heard a pastor and all these things, but, but what is your desire? I mean, he just wanted to see him. His desire was just to see the one that he heard about. It's not like super spiritual right now. We're not like deep theology. This is just someone who had a desire to see Jesus Christ. We have to position ourselves. I will tell you, the measure of your desire will be demonstrated in the amount of your positioning. If you genuinely desire something, my wife, I'll tell on her today, she loved me first. I was a youth pastor and I was just, you know, the one. And so she, she desired me. So what would she do? She'd spend time at church. She'd spend time in my presence. She'd spend time around me. She'd, she'd tell stories about me. She'd tell other people she had a crush on me. So they'd share the story with me. All these things. You know what I mean? Like when we've got a desire, do we not begin to position ourselves? Some of that was not true completely. <laughs> Confession. I mean, it's pretty close, but just a little bit of the abbreviated, um, that's the message version of what happened. The reality is when we desire something, when we truly desire something, we try to position ourselves to experience it. I don't care what it is in life. I, I don't care whether it's very carnal or flesh in nature or it's very spiritual in, in, in what we're experiencing in God. When it's a true desire, we begin to position ourselves so we can experience that which we desire. Yet so often with the things of God, so often with what God has in store, so often as we preach about the future glory that is coming that will be greater than the glory that was, we, we hear about it, but it's not something we genuinely desire, so we're not doing much to reposition ourselves. As a church, as a body, as, as, as we come together, as we, as we talk about and, and, and study the Word of God and, and approach Easter, I want our desire to be to experience His presence. I want our desire to be to experience maybe those things that we've been missing. There's nothing like an aha moment when you're reading the Word and that like jumps out and smacks you upside the head and that's something that you just really realized. I mean, there's something about those moments. I want our desire to be experiencing all that God has because what I love about this story is what does God do? He takes Zacchaeus who repositioned himself. What was his desire? Did he desire to talk to Jesus? Did he desire for Jesus to come to his house? I love what God does with our desires. 
Because he took what Zacchaeus desired and he multiplied it exponentially. Zacchaeus climbed a tree so he could see who Jesus was. Jesus saw him and he called him by name. Who in that crowd did he talk to? He talked to the one who repositioned himself. Who did he ask to come to his house? Who did he ask to spend time with, to have supper with, to break bread with? It's, it's, Zacchaeus never could have dreamed what would happen when he repositioned himself because of, of what God was doing. Guys, we're going to jump to Hebrews chapter 12. Kingdom perspective. My question this morning. What's your desire? Like, What do you want? When it comes to God, I mean, just blank pages right now, open book. It can be big, it can be little. It can be as simple as, as running ahead of the crowd. It can, be, it can be healing, it can be restoration, it can be renewal, it can be deliverance, it can be whatever you have in your life, every, any promise you've heard about. What's your desire? What's limiting that? Like what's keeping you from that very desire's reality in your life? What's your crowd that's keeping you from seeing the presence of Jesus Christ? What is it that's hindering you from experiencing the fullness of His glory that He said He revealed in His Son, Jesus Christ. Is it, is it just people? I mean, is it a simple physical limitation? Sometimes, I mean, we get over spiritual and eh, we're going to get spiritual and, and whatever else, but sometimes it's as simple as a physical thing. Sometimes we just got to reposition ourselves. What's your desire? What's your limitation? What's hindering you from experiencing that which you desire? Because we have a place in this and we just have to reposition ourselves. For some of us, it might be as simple as running ahead of the crowd today. It might be as simple as climbing a tree this morning. Sometimes it's not as, as simple as a crowd, but it's as, as complicated as my sin. My sin is what has kept me from experiencing the presence of God. Scripture's pretty clear. What is sin? It's anything that keeps me away from Him. I don't have a list. I don't have a, a do this, a don't do this. Sin in my life is anything that separates me from Him. 
So guess what I have to do? I have to get rid of what keeps me separate. I have to get ahead of. I have to go around. I have to ask forgiveness if, if that's what it is. Is it sickness? Is it self-doubt? Is it fear? Is it pride? What is it that's keeping you from experiencing what God desires for you to experience? Because I believe that today is a day of kingdom perspective. And I believe that God has been leading our church to this place this morning, the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know what? You may not have to climb a tree today because Jesus climbed a tree. You may not have to lift yourself up because He was lifted up. The reality is, God desires for us to experience the fullness of His presence. He desires for you to see His face this day. He desires to come have have dinner with you. He desires you to experience the fullness of salvation that we see revealed in Zacchaeus' life. So Hebrews chapter 12. Can you guys let Walt and Carrie get up? Hebrews chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, look around this room, we've got a great cloud of witnesses this morning. Let us throw off everything that hinders, sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. He's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This morning, do you need to reposition? This morning, What have you been missing? What's the, the, the story you've been reading over and over, the prophecy you've been engaged in over and over, yet you've been missing the very fulfillment that has been made through Emmanuel, which is Jesus Christ? I encourage you this morning to reposition yourself. Father, I come to you this day. And I thank you for this place. I thank you for your word in this place. I thank you for everyone in this room. Thank you for the kids and what you're speaking to us. And God, as we gather in this room, I pray for our desires to resonate in us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would illuminate our desires. God, as you illuminate them in our hearts, the desire to experience maybe more of you, the desire to to experience the fullness of your forgiveness, the desire to taste and see that you are good, the desire to to experience your love in a way that we've not experienced, the desire to know that, that you care for us, the desire to see your hand revealed, the desire to watch you go before us and prepare a place, the desire to see you uh, make our dreams come true, God, whatever that might be. Pray for wisdom. 
us what we should do. What steps we need to take. God, the step might be opening the book. Just reading what you've done. The step, it might be confessing before, before each other that you're a Lord of our lives. Confessing that we're no longer under the authority of sin and death. Confessing the reality that Jesus Christ died so that my sin could be forgiven. Receiving the promises that, that we can lay our hands on the sick and they can be healed. The Word of God says that even greater things than these can we do in Your name. God, I pray this morning that we reposition ourselves for Your presence. God, I pray that this day You would guide and direct our hearts. This morning, as Walt leads us in a chorus, and Carrie, I'm going to encourage you with listening to what His Spirit is saying when it comes to repositioning. If He's saying, run before the crowd and get out in that parking lot and go home, I'm not worried. I do know this. Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If he's saying, hey, you got sin and you need to pray for that, I, I want to be able to pray with you. I want to make myself available to pray. If you've got sickness or you've got issues or you've got trials, I know we had an intimate time of prayer even before the, the sermon where, where I could see God speaking to these situations that were separating us from His very presence. <laughs> this morning, I desire, God desires, I hope your desire is that we experience Him. As they lead us in the course, I encourage you to respond. If you want to come forward, if you say, Pastor, I want to experience love. I've never experienced God's love. Today is a day where I promise His love wants to be poured out in your life. If you say, I've done too much, or I've hurt too much, or I've, I've broken too much, and it doesn't matter, because, because he said, sin has been forgiven through Jesus Christ. And so today's an opportunity to experience, to get above, to get beyond the crowd, to experience all that God has for us. Amen?